0: Today, we have the great honor of being here with Jay Kim. And uh, as as you guys know, the first Wednesday of the month, we do an interview. And in these interviews, we are trying to explore the question what is the future of the Christian church? And, And it is our conviction, we've talked about this a lot, that the future is going to be very different than the past, especially these next couple of decades. I think the church is in the West in particular. Is in for uh, some real transitions, and so as we're trying to help you all navigate uh, those uncertain waters, um, we're we're trying to bring in some other voices as well, and so. Last month, we had Tyler Johnson from uh, Redemption Church in Arizona talking about the future of the church being ecumenical uh, and collaborative. And, uh, and so this month, we've got Jay Kim, who wrote this book, who I've, uh, I've talked about this book a number of times already on Pastor Guide, Analog Church, uh, and he is joining us. So Jay, Good to have you, man. You can flip on your camera if, you, if you've got a good hair day going. That is not my issue ever. Uh, but uh, we are excited to have Jay here uh, to spend some time with us. Uh, yeah. Uh, Master Guide.
1: Glad to be on. It's a quick technical note. I'm trying to start my camera, but it's saying unable to start video. Oh, well. Start your video because the host has stopped it. Oh, wait. Uh, let me see.
0: Let me see. That's probably on me. Here we go. Make co-host. Boom. See, I'm new with this technology stuff. There we go. Hey, hey, there we there go. There he is. Hey, everybody. All right. <laughs> There's Jay. Man, that is quite a quite a library you got there behind you. I like that a lot.
1: Very jealous. Oh, yeah, it's all props. It's just <laughs> yeah. props for Zoom, you know. It's a just Zoom backwards. It's great. It's great. <laughs>
0: Good. Well, Jay is the lead pastor of Westgate Church. Uh, he and I have never met in person. we It feels like we've just kind of moved around each other uh, yeah, for you know right. most of our careers. We have several good friends in common. We were actually both in the Bay Area at the same time. I was in San Francisco and he was down on the peninsula, uh, but we've never met. So Good to good to meet you, man, and uh, and thank you again for coming on here. Why don't you start by just kind of introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about your ministry journey, where you've been, what you've been doing, and uh, bring us up to date.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for for having me on. Um, yeah, honored to to hang out with you guys a little bit. I'm a I'm a San Jose, Silicon Valley native. I've been here basically my whole life. wasn't born here, but moved here before I can remember, and sort of never left. So uh, yeah, I'm a, you know, I grew up in the epicenter of uh, digital technology, which is interesting, you know, for me to write a book about analog. Um, But I I think certainly, you know, my desire to write such a book was probably informed by my surroundings and my upbringing and all of that. Um, Yeah, I've been in pastoral uh, ministry, vocational, local church ministry for about 20 years now. And uh, it was almost, you know, one of those kind of almost standard stories. I started out as a youth pastor and loved it and did that for uh, almost 10 years and um, started a college ministry and then uh, sort of enfolded that into a church plant here in the Silicon Valley and then um, became a teaching pastor at a, at a church and co-led a church. And now I'm back at the church where I was a teaching pastor previously, and uh, we Um, initiated a succession plan about a year ago, about two years ago, and uh, just sort of stepped into the lead role here. So, and that's very new to me. It just happened um, in January. So here, there you go. That's 20 20 years in about 60 seconds, hopefully. And
0: and you have family, right? Tell us about your family. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Jenny and I have been married uh, 13 years. We've got a seven-year-old daughter named Harper. She turned seven in about three weeks. And then a son named Simon, who's three, uh, turns four this summer. So yeah, we're in the throes of, you know, young parenting and trying to just keep these little humans alive, but they're the joy of my life. And uh, yeah, my wife, Jenny is an educator, public school educator here in the area and uh, my best friend. So yeah, life is good. It's a joy. Some Great. grateful.
0: Very cool. Good. Well, uh, you wrote this book, Analog Church. It's not the only thing you've done, but this is kind of the, the core of what we want to talk about today and, and, and framing the conversation as you know, the future of the Christian church is analog. And, and so before we get too far down the road, maybe we can define some terms. When you say analog and analog church, what, what ideas are you trying to capture in that phrase?
1: Yeah, um, it's pretty straightforward. It's, I think, what most people would assume. So by analog, I know that word has some elasticity of meaning, but by analog, I mean what I think the word means at its most sort of base level, which is tactile, um, physical, uh, you know, a, a more Christian way of saying it might be embodied or incarnational. Um, something that you can, you know, actually see and touch and feel in real ways. So by analog church, I just mean the church or our ecclesiology as a tactile embodied um, incarnational reality. So I think the subtitle of the book is trying to get at that, you know, why we need real people, places and things um, as the church in the digital age. So that's kind of a, you know, a brief synopsis, I think of what I mean.
0: Yeah, that's great. So uh, we talked about this on the phone a little bit, you know, the churches that you've been connected to have been digital and analog to varying degrees, but it's not as if you're coming out of some, you know, monastic or, you know, even Anglican (laughs) kind of tradition here and introducing these ideas to us evangelicals. You know, kind of megachurch evangelicalism has been the majority of your experience. That's right. How did you come about uh, these convictions, and and what was that process like?
1: Yeah, I think initially, you're you're exactly right. I've grown up in sort of standard. Evangelical at certain points in my ministry life, you know, what people would call, you know, a mega church environment. That's the sort of environment I'm a part of now. Actually, it's a larger, you know, multi congregational church where um, we have three congregations throughout the city, but we're all sort of one church family. So, yeah, for me, you're exactly right, Justin. It wasn't a, you know, I grew up in a more liturgical, Uh, tactile, analog environment, and I'm sort of bringing that to the large megachurch evangelical sphere. It was more a personal disruption that happened in me uh, many years ago, and it wasn't really even about my ecclesiology. It was just my personal life, which actually began intersecting um, with, you know, my formational life. I, I, just, I found myself years ago addicted to my phone. I just realized I can't put this down and what is happening. So, you know, my personality is such that I'm, you know, I'm a curious person. I'm inquisitive. I'm inquisitive. And so more than just saying, you know, I got to stop being addicted to my phone. I find myself asking questions like, why am I addicted to my phone? What, what, what is it about this little, You know, pocket device that um, lulls me into this sort of endless, mindless, you know, mind numbing rhythm of scrolling and swiping and clicking. So I just started, this is years ago, I I just started doing some reading, not, you know, not Christian writers, uh, but, you know, people like Sherry Turkle and Nicholas Carr and uh, Adam Alter, and going back a little bit further, you know, people like Marshall McLuhan and Neil Postman, I just started doing some work um, for myself. And then that naturally led to uh, asking the question, you know, what is this? I I know this is doing something to my own formation as a human being, and my formation into Christlikeness. But I imagine this is doing something to to the church, to our ecclesiology. And one of the reasons I thought that Was because, you know, the church where I'm on staff now, I was on staff back then when this journey was beginning for me. And it was actually right when we were moving to a um, multi site model. And the church just adopted the sort of standard move, which is to have like a broadcast venue and then, you know, video stream the preaching to all of these different locations. And that was really the trigger for me. It just, because I was doing some of this reading, I started wondering if that was the right thing. And then I started asking the question, well, like, what is the sermon and what is preaching and what is the church? If I'm going to show up to a room and just watch something on a screen, why show up to the room? Is the church really about just, are we are we purveyors of Christian content? And if it is, then why have a building? Why have people? You know, like, I don't need a building to watch movies on Netflix. That's the point of Netflix. I could do it from the convenience of my own home. So if that's what it is, why are we doing it? So I just started asking all of those questions. Um, So yeah, it wasn't like I was coming from a particular tradition and trying to map that onto another tradition. I was in a tradition that was really, really leveraging digital. And I just started feeling all sorts of disruptions personally. And then those disruptions sort of started extending out more communally and pastorally. Um, and I'm still wrestling with some of those questions. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, long story short, that, that's what kind of led to the book.
0: Yeah, that's great. It, early on in the book, um, you, you talk about, you know, uh, certain pastors have, and in churches really probably across the country, uh, as the majority have embraced the opportunities of digital. And uh, you talk about an early chapter, listening to a leadership podcast in which the host was talking about the digital revolution, right? And they were using Uber and Amazon as examples over and over. And, and you said this yourself, I'll quote you from, from the book. It says your thought was, uh, Amazon and Uber are products and service-based organizations. You log on, purchase a book or schedule a ride, and then you log off. You get in, you get what you need and get out. Is that what the church is? And I think that's a really, really great question. Um, so maybe my question for you is, if, if the church isn't Amazon, what is it, right? As, as you ha- have wrestled through these, through these uh, thoughts and discussions, I think you've rightly identified maybe some of the assumptions of the digital world that we've probably just kind of swallowed uh, uncritically. And so if you were to take a step back, then how would you answer that question uh, without it just being a negative? But like, what is the church in a way that then leads us down this path of analog?
1: That's a wonderful question. Yeah, I um, you know, it's interesting to me. I, I distinctly remember not just writing that in the book, but I distinctly remember that podcast episode because I remember my innate frustration listening to it. And uh, I have nothing against the person who hosts that podcast. I've interacted with him a little bit. Brilliant guy, loves Jesus, loves the church. We just have different views. What's really interesting to me is that when that argument is made, not just by this particular podcast, but sort of across the board, when that argument is made, that if churches don't go digital, don't leverage digital, don't go online and put a lot of energy there, you know, you're know, you gonna be left in the dust. And, and this sort of like fear mongering approach is, is mm-hmm. mapped onto uh, the church's sort of incessant need to go digital. What's really interesting to me is that um, the analogs to that model are always, you know, uh, companies like, like Uber and Amazon. And I understand why. Strategically, it's really easy because you can sort of propagate that anxiety that if you don't go digital you're going to be left in the dust by essentially saying look at what amazon has done to the brick and mortar bookstore or look at what uber or lyft have done to you know the taxi cab or whatever and what's really interesting to me is that um and this is getting to your question you know uh analogies are never ever made to things like schools and hospitals You know, you will never hear strong proponents of going digital in the church make the analogy that it's just like what we've seen in hospitals and in schools, because that analogy doesn't work. If I were to tell you, hey, hospitals are shutting down, you're never going to go to a physical building anymore, and all of your needs physically, you know, medically um, are going to be met, you know, on Zoom, We would, I mean, there would be an uproar. (laughs) Like what, what if I need surgery? What if I like, what if, you know, I break a bone and I need the doctor to like literally like feel and see and, and recognize the brokenness of my body? Can't do that on Zoom. Or schools. I mean, th- there is a lot being written right now about the potential ramifications of how many decades we are going to wrestle with and deal with the ramifications of what shutting down schools for even just a year, year and a half during the pandemic have done to an entire generation of young people. I mean, the you know, it's 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 shocking, it's alarming, but it is not surprising. When we detach people in their formative years, not just from the content that they learn in school, but from the experience of learning it within a learning community, um, we're already seeing early on, we're already seeing how detrimental that's been. And that analogy is never made to the church. But I would argue that those are way better um, metaphors for what the church should be that, you know, when Jesus talks about discipleship, about learning and living uh, the way of Jesus, when the Bible talks about that, you know, many of the people on this call know this already, but that word disciple is a word that's probably best translated student, but not just student, like somebody who knows the information to student, like an apprentice, you know, if, if you were going to, you know, take your car to an auto mechanic, you pulled up and your car's got real issues and you walked up to the mechanic and you said hey i'm just interested and curious like tell me about your experience you know like how'd you become a mechanic and if that mechanic told you well you know i watched a bunch of youtube videos and i read a couple of books you said oh that's great but like how many cars have you worked on (laughs) Like, if that mechanic said none yours is the first I've never worked on a car or if a surgeon said the same I've read every book on surgery there is or I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on you know surgery on open heart surgery so lay down and let me go you'd be like no (laughs) like get out of because being a student when it comes to stuff like that it requires, it's apprenticeship. It's not just knowing the information, it's practice. It's doing the thing that um, you were meant to do or called to do. And so it is with discipleship to Jesus. So when we talk about following Jesus and if the church is the gathered community of, of Jesus followers, oh my gosh, a bird just hit my window. I don't know if you just heard that. <laughs> I, could but, hear uh, it. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I thought it was a rock or something. Anyways, that was really loud. <laughs> very analog, right? (laughs) (laughs) So the way I felt that in my office is very different than the way you felt it in, uh, you know, over Zoom. Anyways, that's what I would say. I think those types of analogies uh, work better, but more than working better, they're more faithful to the biblical vision for what it means to follow Jesus. The following Jesus is not primarily about consuming a product or gaining particular knowledge or information or data, that following Jesus is primarily uh, about practicing the way of Jesus, apprenticing to the way of Jesus. And if that's true, then we're more like students in a school or um, sick people going to a hospital or doctors learning how to practice medicine. And I think all of us would agree those, that sort of work is difficult to do well uh, online. It's yeah. something you gotta get your hands uh, into.
0: Yeah, well, I recently moved to Los Angeles. And so, uh, you know, trying to be a good missionary have uh, been listening to podcasts with, uh, you know, movie makers and actors and all this. And one of, the, one of the conversations that has been coming up a lot amongst actors and directors and things that I'm reading and listening to is the move from movie theaters to, uh, you know, home theaters and Netflix and streaming and all of that. And I was listening to an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson recently, who was talking about like, yeah, I, when I make a movie, part of, part of that process is um, it, the, the experience of sitting in a theater and, mm-hmm. and the smells and the communal nature yeah. of, of that experience. And, you know, there's a couple of movies in my, uh, in my lifetime that I saw in a theater that, the experience of seeing it in the theater with people was, yeah. was a, is such a huge part of my memory. And so when you detach, uh, you know, so I think about like movies, like if movies are purely for, the delivery of entertainment, then, sure, that can happen in my living room as well as it can happen in a movie theater. But if it's created to, to, to you know, in, to be an embodied experience, I remember two two movie experiences that stand out that are totally different movies. One was uh, when I saw Waterboy, that old Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> I saw it in a group uh, in a theater. It was just a whole bunch of people, and people were standing up and yelling and and cheering, and it was incredible. And then the other was, I saw The Ring, that, that old horror movie from the yeah, early yeah. 2000s. And I can not get the entire theater was terrified the entire yeah. time. And, and I remember viscerally that experience with people as much as I do the movie itself. Yeah. And I think that the other, the other kind of analog to it is a restaurant experience, you know, and, and yes. what like DoorDash and Uber Eats have done yes. to food. You know, I've heard restaurateurs talk about, you know, when they have a vision for their restaurant, it's not just about food delivery. It's about an experience of eating together with friends and family and what that does to you. Um, you know, I, I live in a, a very Armenian neighborhood. And so there's restaurants all over. And there are just always people, these Armenian people feasting together. and And it's yeah like last night, Tuesday night, I walked by a restaurant and it was jammed full of people feasting together and enjoying that experience. And and if you you take that out and just get that same food delivered to your home, eaten by yourself, it's a totally different thing. And it doesn't fully capture the intention of the or the intention of the movie maker in a way that I now hear those people complaining in similar ways to the way I hear pastors complain. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think the the restaurant analogy in particular is really fascinating. I, I love that you brought that up because, you know, um, the other day, my, uh, you know, Jenny was gone doing something. And so I had the kids on my own. So like any helpless dad, rather than feeding my children a good hearty homemade meal, I took them to McDonald's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, no, no guilt, you know, every now and then it's okay. So I took them to McDonald's and the fascinating thing about McDonald's is like there, it's not an experience. It's um, you, you don't go in with any sort of openness as to what this experience is going to be like. You go in with just a very clear expectation I know what McDonald's are like, doesn't matter what part of the country I'm in. I can go to any McDonald's, the menu's the same. I order the number two and I split the hash brown between my two little kiddos. They love it. We get in, get the stuff, we get out. Which, you know, if you want to use that analogy, it makes sense. But I think most of us would say with like the people who mean most to us in the moments of life that mean most to us. You know, uh, it's my wife's birthday this month. So we we were just up in San Francisco um, having dinner uh, at uh, an Italian restaurant up there called A Mano, which is like fantastic place. That is a very different experience than a McDonald's. I guess you could both, you I guess you could call it food both ways, <laughs> but they are two And I would never dream of taking my wife for her birthday to McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, if I am capable, I'm going to look for an experience that's meaningful for us. So we have to ask the question, like, again, what is the church? Is the church really primarily like about convenience and a product get in, get the thing, get out. If it, if if it is, if that is what the church is, then for me, I would say, yeah, go digital by all means, do your thing, you know? But I think, most of us would agree that our highest hope for the church is that it's something else altogether. It's a transcendent experience of an extended meal at a table with friends who are hopefully becoming family. You know, yeah. and if that's true, then yeah, it it requires a demand something differently of us.
0: Yeah. That's good. Let me pause for a quick second and remind the guys that are on this call that we'll have some time for Q&A at the end. And so if you have questions for Jay, go ahead and throw them in the Q&A and we'll address those if there are any at the end. Um, Jay, early on in the book, probably first, third, um, you give us three categories um, about how to resist digital culture. You say we should gather when the world scatters, slow down when the world speeds up and commune when the world critiques. Uh, I love those categories. Put some flesh on that for me. How do you see those things playing out in an analog church?
1: Uh, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, uh, I have a friend named Glenn Packiam, who um, is a pastor out in Colorado. He's got a fantastic new book out called The Resilient Pastor. And he and I were t- chatting about a week ago, and he mentioned a phrase that I thought first I was like oh I'm so jealous I didn't think of that phrase Um, but I just found it so helpful as a paradigm that sort of summarizes all three of those things about you know gathering when the world scatters and slowing down when the world speeds up and communing when the world critiques the way he describes it he says and I'm paraphrasing him here but essentially you know the world is looking for space but I think the church we can offer people a place, and I think a part of what he meant by that is that you know space. If you, I mean, we're we're stretching the words or defining them a particular way here for sure. But space is really about efficiency. It's about getting our spot. It's about getting to our spot. It's about um, establishing ourselves in a particular sort of fixed position, and uh, you know. Th- I think I think we're all sort of after that in some ways um, we're, we're constantly on the move scattering about because we're looking for the the, the particular spaces we feel compelled to be in uh, we, you know. We, we find ourselves critiquing, I think, often because, again, we're trying to, I mean, Twitter is a good example of this. People are trying to establish their particular corner of that platform, you know, own their particular space. And so the way to do that on that platform, as an example, is to critique our way there, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm going to establish my Twitter identity or whatever it might be. And all of that stuff makes us really urgent, you know? There's lots of reasons why the digital age has sped us up. Um, A value of the digital age is speed. So that's one reason. But also one of the reasons we're like constantly sloshing about in life in the digital age is because, again, I think in some ways we're looking for our particular space and we feel like we got to get there before somebody else does. That applies in so many ways but the church has an opportunity to, to offer place and a place is different. It sounds different. It feels different. When we say you have, you know, if I were to say you have space here, it feels technical. It feels like I'm, you know, managing an apartment complex and I'm telling you B 47 is your parking space. You have space. Um, But if I say, Hey, you have a place here that feels much more like, oh, like you're inviting me to belong to something. And within that place, um, I, have a, I have, there's freedom of movement more than, it's not autonomous movement, it's not individualism, it's movement within the community that you're inviting me to. Um, the place you're leaving for me at the table, You know, to go back to the, the restaurant or the dining uh, metaphor. And so, you know, for me, that's been helpful. I think that's a good way for me to at least sort of like map on a paradigm that summarizes all of those things that, you know, we are invited um, to gather and to slow down and to commune one another in a particular place and to find our place within a particular community rather than this mad rush of, scattering about as fast as we can, critiquing our way when we need to, to establish our space in this sort of you know, mad rush of digital dialogue and vitriol. So um, that's been a helpful way for, for me to think about it.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, obviously, this issue of analog and digital is not a binary, and and you don't present it as such in the book. I think you did a great job of, of establishing principles um, by which we can kind of make some of these decisions because at Westgate, you guys use screens, you guys use amplified sound, you know, yeah. there's there are digital aspects of what you do. I assume you record yeah. the sermons yeah. and you and you, you know, proliferate them across the internet and in whatever ways and <laughs> platforms, uh, as we all do. And so the question isn't. Uh, do we are we digital or are we analog? Um, and so what is the question and, and how do we uh, navigate that spectrum? And and maybe I'm a big fan Andy Crouch I think you are too and yeah. I love his use of two by twos right that there it's not digital on the one end and, and analog on the other but it is probably something like digital on an x axis and 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 analog on a y or I always get those mixed yeah. up but I'm not a math guy uh, and uh, and so just thinking about like what are some of the orienting questions that you've used, um, you know, you quote uh, Marshall McLuhan a lot, and big big fan of McLuhan. On page 40 of your book, um, you have these four questions that McLuhan uses to talk about technology. I'll read them really quickly. One, what does it enhance, improve, or make possible? Two, what does it push aside or make obsolete? Three, what does it retrieve that was previously pushed aside or made obsolete? And four, what does it turn into when pushed to an extreme? So maybe that's a, a rubric we can use, but what are some questions for, that you have used um, and continue to use as you assess different digital opportunities and spaces where you may use digital, may use analog, may use a combination of the two? I guess maybe just what? how are you thinking about it rather than saying, Are you doing this? Are you doing that? I mean, which is the result of what I believe are a good, thoughtful process and questions. So how how do you navigate that?
1: Yeah, the McLuhan questions um, that he maps on to all media and by media, he doesn't mean like Fox News or CNN. He he means so much more than that. He means just any medium that extends human capacity. That's the way McLuhan thinks about it. So um, the wheel for McLuhan would be a media because right. it extends human capacity for travel, the human capacity of our own two feet. Um, the smartphone is like a prime example of this, right? So if you map those questions on, and I think I do this in the book, if you map those four questions onto the smartphone, you know, what human capacity does it extend or enhance? Well, it extends or enhances our ability to talk, to communicate, like verbally communicate over long distances. So before the smartphone, before cell phones, you know, um, like the advent of the phone in general, what it did was it allowed us, oh, I don't have to write a letter and put it on a, pigeon or whatever, you know, fly it across town or whatever, I could literally pick up a a physical device and I can hear and talk to somebody who's, you know, miles and miles away. And so it enhances that. Um, the smartphone, specifically, it retrieves several things. Some would argue it retrieves like the camera. You know, now our phones is just as much cameras and video recorders are as they are phones. In fact, most people don't use it to talk to people as much. They use it for all sorts of other things. Um, but the key question is at the end, well, what does it do when it's taken to its extreme? And McLuhan's argument is that almost all media or all technologies that enhance human Uh, capacity, that usually what happens is that they are eventually taken to their extreme and they fold in on themselves and actually take away from us, debilitate our ability um, to do the thing we were intending to enhance. So the smartphone is a great example because if you think about the trajectory of the phone, the phone was designed to enhance our ability to talk and to listen to one another. But smartphones have taken phones to their extreme, and now what do you see? You go to any coffee shop or restaurant or even the family dinner table, and you you it's a regular occurrence to see people literally sitting face-to-face with one another, not talking, yeah. just completely immersed in their smartphone. So the smartphone, the phone, has folded in on itself. It's been taken to its extreme, And it's actually now debilitating us in terms of the thing it was intended to enhance. So we try to ask that question a lot about everything we do digitally and about all technology. So we're just having that conversation this week, actually, as a team. Okay, we're still continuing to post our um, worship gatherings on our website, but we did that initially as a response to COVID, we had nothing else. Uh, We wanted to at least be together, and I'm using air quotes, in some form or fashion. So now we're asking the question, how is it folding in on itself? How is it that as we continue to do online services or whatever, that we're actually now disconnecting people by providing the thing we intended to connect people? And so we just did a survey, a church-wide survey this week. One of the key questions was how are you, um, uh, how are you participating in the life of our church? And some of the options were like in-person, online, 50-50, something like that. And then we said, if you are primarily, you know, participating online, uh, what's your reason? And that was the key question of the survey for us. And there were lots of reasons because it is a, it is a strange time. So we included in there, you still have health concerns about COVID, but you're looking forward to getting back once, you know, those concerns are alleviated. Um, you know, maybe it's travel, work schedule, family schedule, Sundays are difficult for you, but you want to stay connected. Maybe you moved away. And then one of the options was convenience. It's just really convenient for us. And that's what we're targeting. You know, if if that's a high percentage, you um, then we're going to shut it down (laughs) because we're not doing online to make it convenient for anybody. Um, So anyways, uh, another question we ask a lot around here, it's in my book. Um, It's not a question. It's sort of a paradigm. We say all the time, digital informs, but analog transforms. (laughs) So we believe that if we use and leverage digital, it's best used to inform our people but really, our core conviction is that we're inviting people to the process and the life of discipleship, formation, and transformation into the image of Christ. And our belief is that that happens most effectively uh, in person, in analog, um, as we are embodied with one another. So that that's a paradigm we try to map onto all of the decisions that we make.
0: Yeah. So. Um... I think in these conversations, a lot of people want to immediately go to the extreme and go, okay, well, then if you're analog, then why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Right. And, and so asking, I mean, I think I was going to bring up that uh, digital informs analog transforms, because I think that's a great way to think about it almost empowers us to be able to go, okay, what are we trying to accomplish with this? Is this an information, uh, transfer is that the goal of this particular initiative or ministry or whatever it is, or is the goal of this thing transformation, but I, but if I was going to push on this a little bit and it's hard for me to do so because I really like it and agree with you. <laughs> uh, but I think the, um you know there there are two so someone like a kerry newhoff who is very much a proponent of uh this digital stuff and i listened to his podcast and whether or not that's the podcast in reference i don't know but uh i he talks about this a lot and uh and it is very much proponent of hey people pe- the front door is now digital right like that's how people are going to engage your ministry as a first step and and, and I would agree with that in the sense, like in a personal sense, uh, long before I ever go somewhere, whether it's a restaurant or a coffee shop or a church or anything, I'm checking it out online. I'm checking the Instagram feed. I'm checking. And that's that's going to tell me a lot about the values of the organization. You know, whenever I'm in another city and I'm looking for good coffee. I'm immediately looking for pictures because if yeah. they don't have good, you know, I, I can tell by the lattes and I can tell by the aesthetic <laughs> of the building if this is my kind of place or not. So if I was going to push on this at all, I think it would actually be more on the marketing end of things, if if I can use that word or the the kind of external, uh, uh, how we're talking about ourselves in the world uh, edge of, of this conversation. Because I do think like, once they're in, once they're connected to me, the analog thing, it scratches the itch that they all had, right. That everybody has that itch to be known, to have a place, not just a space. Uh, I love all that stuff. And and I think that once people experience it, they, there is something it's like eating a salad instead of McDonald's. Like you go, I didn't want it, but man, I feel a lot better now that I got it. Right. But on the, on that, on that outward facing marketing outreach kind of edge how how does that how can we um, embody the analog vision when I, I think without argument, the vast majority of people are engaging are their first touch with us is digital.
1: Yeah, you know, I think you and I probably land in the same place, which is again why um, that idea that digital informs analog transforms is helpful for us. It's helpful because we're well aware we have to inform people. I yeah. mean, we're going to be less effective if we assume let's share nothing with no one and just expect that, you know, they're going to show up. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. th- there, is a, there is a little bit of like a, sort of a punk rock edge to it. You know, yeah. I, I have friends who lead churches who are like, no, man, we're not going to do any of that. We're just going yeah. to go you know, and I kind of, there's a part of me that just personally kind of admires that. It's like, oh yeah, that's very punk rock. I like it. You know, like Mm -hmm. we got nothing, no website, no nothing. You just got to show up and hear about it, you know, from your friends. And that's cool. Um, our approach is not that we, we, uh, we want to try to, we live in a very digitized part of the country. You know, we're right in the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, everybody is online. That's true. I think globally, but it's especially true in urban settings like ours. So, um, yeah, we, you know, we leverage digital, but we leverage it in order to inform. So a way to think about it would be that analogy of a house. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think digital is a fantastic front door, but it is very rare, rare very rare that you have a transformative conversation at your front door. Yeah. Typically at the front door, you say hi to your UPS man and hope you have a good day and they deliver you the content, you know. Uh, and Now, I would also say everybody who comes to our home comes through the front door. Like <laughs> at some point they, they have to walk up to the front door, but the people that we have the most, again, for formative transformational relationships with, they don't stay at the front door. They enter our home and walk into much more intimate spaces of belonging. They have place in our house. You know, they sit at the dining table or the living room or the family room. We sit and we share a meal or a cup of tea and have a long extended conversation. And I think, you know, so it is with the church. I think digital is again, a great front door. We can exchange information. We can, that's where we allow people to just get the basics of like, when, where, who, how, you know, that's important. Um, So I'm all for that. I'm all for it. But I think the danger becomes, you know, if you begin extending what you believe to be the most trans transformational or formational components of um, the life of your church to the front door. If you start shoving it there, uh, I I believe that's where, you know, formational and transformational stuff goes to die. It just doesn't work in that environment. So that's where we can get into all sorts of conversations about, you know, Christian content and, you know, churches believing. I think there was a question in the Q&A, like about discipleship or formation, is it possible online? And yeah, I have all sorts of thoughts about that. But yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think digital is a great front door. It's a great place to inform people, but we're informing them to invite them to join us in more transformational places.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I I feel like we could talk about this for a long time. Um, Let's go, let's do some of these questions real quick. If you have other questions, go ahead and throw them in the Q&A. Uh, first question from Kyle Eaton in Minnesota, uh, with live streaming and video being so prominent now, do you think that there is a a viable place for its use? If so, where do you see it being an important piece in our discipleship processes with people attending so much less frequently? You've spoken to this a little bit, but maybe, uh, expand upon that a bit.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've already talked about it, but, but I would say, you know, the best way to leverage digital, the best way to leverage, you know, live streaming and whatever content you put out there online, um, you know, we were talking about restaurants earlier and we've talked about Netflix and stuff and stuff. So I- I'll sort of converge the two. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we used to watch that show, that documentary show on Netflix called Chef's Table. Uh mm-hmm which is like this really well done, very cinematic, beautiful documentary series, where they just tap into, uh, you know, high-end restaurants all over the world. And then they've recently begun doing a different type of series called Street Food, and they go to different continents and they just highlight, but it's also filmed very similarly. And um, anyways, on both ends of the spectrum, What those shows make me do, they raise, they, they increase my appetite. You know, they make me want to go travel, eat the food. Um, I'm grateful for the show because one, it's entertaining, but really what it does, the reason it's effective is because it's like, it makes me want to fly, buy a ticket to Mexico city and go to that guy's taco stand and have one of his Alpa store tacos, you know, like, So it is with our online engagement, in my opinion, we have to use it, leverage it to inform, to give people a vision for what's possible, but increase their, their hunger, you know, wet their appetite and invite them to come and have a place and um, eat at the table with us. So, uh, you know, that's a big broad way of saying it, but hopefully that helps.
0: No, it's great. Uh, All right. So from Scott Foster, would you be willing to share the survey questions you, you uh, sent to your congregation?
1: Yeah, yeah. you know, um, I, I, I've i got to look for it. I'm looking here on my email. Um, I don't know, maybe I can, while we're talking here, I'll look for it here on my uh, on my email thread and then I can just link it. To, yeah. How about to, this?
0: Yeah. I'll follow up with you on that. And then Scott, I'll post it on our Facebook page, our pastor guide, Facebook, and that way uh, it's there for you. So I'll follow up with you on that, Jay. Maybe maybe as a last question, unless uh, if there is any others that come in, um, you know, just thinking, uh, I think a lot of guys, maybe even if they haven't had the language that you've given us, and, and I would just, again, recommend this book to everybody, go get this book, read it. It is really well written. It's interesting. It's practical. It's just, it's really, really good. I I read it very quickly. And I just finished uh, The Shallows by Nicholas Carr uh, because uh, of the reference in this. It had been on my shelf for, you know, a year or something, uh, but it it made me go read that. And that was fantastic as well. Um, But regardless of whether guys have had some of the language and categories that you talk about in the book, I think we've all wrestled with this even just at like a existential kind of like what what is this and what do we do and it feels weird and 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 so it's helpful I think to get these categories but maybe what are some of the first steps you'd recommend to guys um, that they can take to move towards a more analog vision for their church
1: yeah I think the place to start and it's gonna feel like oh man that's like really you know the starting point and I don't. Do I want to go back that far? But I would suggest the place to start is to begin thoughtfully uh, engaging in and of yourself, but also with maybe people on your leadership team or something. Um, your your ecclesiology. Like, what do you what do you think the church is? Like, really, you know what what do you believe the church is? Why the church? Why do you have a church? Why do you serve in a church? What is the church? If some alien from a different planet came somehow spoke English and was like, I saw this word church. What is it? What would you tell them? Because probably the first thing you tell them is something about your building and your meeting times. And it's a group of people who like sing songs together. It would probably be uh, about what you do, but, but I would start by asking the question like, no, 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 not. What does the church do? What does our church do? But like, why the church? (laughs) What does the bible say about the church what's the point what's the purpose where's that word come from i would begin there because i don't think any of the other work can be done until you establish firmly uh with conviction um your own ecclesiology and and i actually think that's work that uh alarmingly many church leaders haven't done we've just sort of adopted the models you know the functionality of church as we've experienced it and then we just dive in and we say okay i guess that's that's what we're doing you know um but if the church really is you know ecclesia people called out uh to a particular thing a a particular place for a particular reason a particular mission it's going to inform and give us a template for making all of these other other decisions. So I would begin there. And then uh, we've already talked about this, but I would ask the question, why are we doing the stuff we're doing? And are there some ways in which the stuff we're doing has been taken to its extreme and it's folded in on itself? And maybe it's actually working against the very reason we started doing the thing we started doing. Yeah. So those yeah. are a couple of questions I would start with. That's great.
0: Yeah. I love that. Jay, thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, I feel like we could talk for a long time. Next time I'm up in the Bay Area, I'm going to buy you a drink or something. And, yeah, and we'll let's hang do out. Uh, but yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for this book. And then you've got another book and analog Christians. Has it come out yet?
1: No, it comes out in July. It's um, <laughs> sort of a follow up of sorts, but it's uh, yeah, it's more about what the d- digital age is doing to our formation, to our discipleship yeah. Yeah. in Jesus.
0: Is that something aimed uh, at pastors in a way that Analog Church is or is it aimed more at the people?
1: Yeah, it's aimed at everybody. Yeah, okay. it's more about our own. Yeah, so yeah, the first book was obviously a, a church leader's book, but this book is just for everyone.
0: Cool. Well, if you haven't read Analog Church, go buy it and read it. Pre-order Analog Christians because uh, I guarantee it will be great or your money back. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, again, man, thanks so much. Uh, for hanging out. And uh, you, me, and Isaac need to go get together and, yeah. and hang out sometime. Yeah,
1: let's do it. That'd be a blast.
0: Yeah. All right, fellas, we'll we'll see you back here in two weeks. Uh, and uh, hopefully at T4G, those of you who will be in Louisville would love to hang out with you there as well. Uh, as always, we love you guys, love your church, and uh, just go lead your church uh, into the transformative power of the gospel. Love you guys. See you in two weeks.